first reading comes from Exodus 31, verses 12 to 18. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath, because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among the people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. The word of the Lord. Thank be to God. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel is written in the sixth chapter of the Gospel according to St. Luke, beginning at the first verse. Glory be to you, O Christ. On a Sabbath, while Jesus was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him? And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. The Gospel of Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. Let us pray. Father, in what has gone on before in this service, you have invited us to reorient ourselves towards you, to worship you, to settle into your presence. And I pray that we would remain that way as we explore the wisdom, the grace, the beauty, and the truth of your invitation to a Sabbath rest. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, some of you will know that I'm a preacher's kid. And so growing up as a child, we would have all-ages Sunday school at 10 o'clock, and we would have our worship service at 11. We would go home and then come back for our evening service. Uh, and in between, after dinner, mom and dad went for a nap. Now, and then we were all expected to go to our rooms, and if, if not nap, at least be quiet. And uh, I remember just despising the Sunday afternoon nap. I was afraid if I ever fell asleep, I'd miss something important. And, and, and I hated the thought of going into my room and closing the door and, and uh, well, not very often napping, but at least being quiet. As I've gotten older, uh, my attitude around naps has changed dramatically. And, and uh, I, I say to my daughter teases me because I keep falling asleep when we go to watch a program. And, and I'll say, I don't choose the naps. The naps choose me. And, and uh, the idea of a Sunday afternoon nap now seems like a great gift, a great grace. Um, as we go through our sermon series on the Gospel of Luke, this morning we land on, on Luke chapter 6 and some thoughts about Sabbath observance, Sabbath day observance. Now, I do feel like a little bit like I'm preaching to the choir here because after all, you're all here. Uh, you're here on a Sunday morning and thank you for being here, by the way. But I still get the sense, at least from my own experience, that the whole idea of Sabbath and Sabbath rest maybe are not as explored as they could be in the life of faith in the, in the contemporary church. So let's take a look at a bit of a survey of the understanding of the Sabbath and, and what that has meant over time and to, to get a bit of a background for our verses, our passages this morning. So nowhere else in the ancient Near East is there any evidence of a day set aside for rest. It didn't exist as far as we can tell. The, only, the first and only reference to that is with the Hebrew people, with the Jews, and their command by God to set aside the seventh day. It was unique to Israel. Now the word is used 172 times in the Bible. Interestingly enough, 60 of those times are in the New Testament, which is, a, which is a fascinating thing all in itself. In our Exodus reading from this morning, the reason for the keeping of the Sabbath is tied to God's example in the creation story. God created all that was, and then after creating humans, on the seventh day, God rested. And because God rests, so should we. It is a sanctifying and purifying thing. It's a way that God's people are set apart or made holy, marked out as different from everyone around them. And being different with this day of rest makes God pe God's people a light to the world. In our reading, the consequences for breaking Sabbath observance are severe terrifyingly severe. People are supposed to die. They're supposed to be put to death. Uh, quite shocking. Now, the Sabbath is enshrined in the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, 
the, the commandment says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's very similar to what we read in our, our scripture reading. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh, the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, the sojourner within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Ten Commandments are recounted again in Deuteronomy chapter 5, and the commandment itself is virtually identical, but the reason changes in Deuteronomy. And the, the reason given is, you shall remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Interesting difference. Keep that in mind. As time went on in certain Jewish circles, particularly in Palestine, more and more detail, more and more laws were added to Sabbath day observance to protect the sanctity of the Sabbath day. So that by Jesus' time, the Sabbath day observance was genuinely oppressive. There were 39 categories of work that were prohibited on the Sabbath. And that brings us to Jesus' encounters with the religious leaders in our, our stories in Luke. Now, it was pointed out in an earlier sermon in our series that Luke often categorized his material thematically as well as chronologically. And so we have two separate stories in our reading, probably from two different times, most likely from two different times. And these are encounters between Jesus and the religious leaders regarding uh, Sabbath day observance, and you get a sense very, very quickly that something is spiritually wrong around Sabbath day observance amongst his contemporaries. It's repressive in tone and nature. Jesus did two things on the Sabbath. In the first story, he and his disciples plucked some grain, and they rubbed it out, and they ate the kernels. They must have had awfully good teeth, because those kernels are pretty hard stuff. But that's what they did. They were hungry, they needed to get something to eat, and that was, that was available to them, and that's what they did. The Pharisees, watching like hawks, saw this and said, Aha! You have broken the Sabbath. Uh, you're not supposed to do this kind of work on the Sabbath. You're threshing grain on the Sabbath. And that's often the way when we, when we get down to the nitty-gritty details of of legalistic interpretation of what God's will for our lives is. It becomes increasingly external, increasingly easily monitored, and easily quantifiable. So, so I can tell that I'm a better observer of the law than you because it's all on the outside here. And Jesus has a response to that, this critique, this condemnation by the Pharisees. And they were implying, I guess, that they should be put to death for having done what they did. Jesus points to a much more extreme breaking of the religious uh, laws by none other than King David when he ate the bread in the temple that was reserved just for the priests. And he concludes that with the statement, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. In Mark's telling of this story in chapter 2 of his gospel, Jesus also says, the Sabbath was made for people not people for the Sabbath. In our second story, Jesus healed a man in the synagogue on the Sabbath. 
Now, he was aware of the tensions going on. You might even wonder if the, the man with the withered hand was a plant to instigate something here. Uh, they were watching. They were watching him. They knew that he was a bit of a rebel. And they were, they were, all eyes were on Jesus to see how he would respond to this man with the withered hand. Jesus knew this. And he turned it into a confrontation. And he used the opportunity to expose the darkness of the hearts barely concealed beneath the strict and rigorous religious orthodoxy of the leaders. And before healing the man, Jesus posed the question, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And in response to Jesus' direct challenge, the scribes and Pharisees were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. And we know eventually what they did do to Jesus. They fulfilled the law and they killed him. In the first few centuries following the birth of Christianity, slowly and in fits and starts, Christian uh, Sabbath observance shifted from Saturday to Sunday, from the seventh day to the first day of the week. And some of that had to do with uh, the resurrection having occurred on the first day of the week and wanting to honor that on our, in our weekly rhythms of worship. And then in uh, 321, the Emperor Constantine, who did many other things, uh, the Emperor Constantine decreed Sunday as the day of rest for the entire Roman Empire. And with a very few exceptions, that has been the case for the Christian church ever since. And the exceptions like the reforming Sabbatarian movement in the 16th century uh, out of which came groups like Seventh-day Adventists, who are still with us today, who, who have returned to a Saturday, Sabbath day. So there's our brief, broad-stroke summary of the history of the Sabbath, into which our readings today are set. But what, if anything, does it mean for us today? Some have concluded that, based on our reading in the Gospel, and that Jesus basically abolished the Sabbath. And we don't have to give much thought to these archaic and legalistic notions anymore. But that is very much not the case. And you will recall that 60 times the Sabbath is mentioned in the New Testament. So let's see what we can take away from the history of the Sabbath in the Bible for our edification this morning. First, perhaps and most obvious, Sabbath is serious business. Life and death business. Both in the quality of our physical life, we do need rest, and the substance of our spiritual life, the orientation of our existence. When we bring together those two different reasons given in Exodus and Deuteronomy for Sabbath day observance, we can begin to understand that the Sabbath can be seen as a critically important reset button, uh, a factory reset button, if you will, for our lives. You see, it's always been this way. We've always had to work in order to eat. It's a necessity that we cannot escape. But when we are absorbed in our work and all the details of day-to-day -day life, there are a number of ways that that part of our lives can consume us in an unhealthy, even a destructive way. The hamster wheel gets going in our head and never gives us a moment rest. All of our obligations and responsibilities are always at the front of our mind. In the parable of the sower and the seed in Mark chapter 4, Jesus says of the seed that is sown among thorns, that is, are those who hear the word, 
But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Jesus covers an awful lot of territory in very, very few words there. First, life is hard. I've said at times, life is hard, and if it weren't, I might not have a job. But life is hard, and our obligations and responsibilities, or the cares of this world, can overwhelm us. They can become the focus of all of our energy and all of our thoughts and leave no room for reflection, meditation, intentionality, purposeful living. Second, as we work and are rewarded for our work, we can make some mistaken assumptions. The deceitfulness of riches can convince us that one, what we have is ours only by virtue of our hard work. And two, that our safety and security will be achieved and maintained by the wealth or the goods that we accumulate. Neither of those is true. Every good and perfect gift comes from the loving hand of the Father. And safety and security are found only in God rather than our accumulated wealth. And finally, our unregulated appetites will draw us further and further away from our true orientation and purpose. And those are some of, just some of the potential pitfalls as we tend to the details of our day-to-day -day lives. The Sabbath, then, is the opportunity to reaffirm our trust in God, that all that we have comes from God, and to declare that in God alone is where our safety and our security lie. It is the opportunity to reorient ourselves away from the material and earthly goals and appetites and restore our focus onto God and those whom God has given us. Another story from my childhood. I grew up in farming communities in Manitoba, so I'm very familiar with the rhythms of, of planting and harvest. And harvest time was the big crunch, of course. All of your year's work is in that season of harvest when you get all the grain off the field as quickly as you can and, in, and into safety in the barns. That's your income for the year. You've been spending all year. Your income is in that grain. You've got to get it in. You've got to get it safe where you can sell it. And so harvest time was all hands on deck. You work straight through. The only thing that ever stops you from harvesting is dew or rain. And so you'd start when the fields are dry and you would, you would be harvesting right through till maybe 2, 3, or 4 o'clock in the morning sometimes whenever the dew landed again on the fields and you had to stop for a few hours and then you'd start up again. And meals would be brought out to the field and you would eat in the field. You'd never actually leave. As a matter of fact, some of my driver's training was in a grain truck uh, with my father by my side as I pulled up alongside the combine and got loaded up with the grain and then drove off to the barn. In grade school, uh, we lived in a community that had a lot of first and second generation European immigrants who came to farm the, the beautiful soil in the Swan Valley in western Manitoba. And one couple uh, that was in our, in our church, I thought of them as old at the time, but they probably weren't much older than I am now. That's very disorienting, to say the least. Um, we called them Grandpa and Grandma, Grandpa and Grandma Jersak, some beautiful, beautiful people. And when Sunday came around during harvest time, it would be a bright, sunny day, and in they would walk through the doors of the church, and they'd sit down 
peaceful, still, smiling, with joy on their faces. And people would ask, are you not harvesting today? Oh, no. Oh, no. God has always provided. God will provide. Our trust is in God alone. He is the Lord of the harvest. And they said very, very little. They, I mean, English wasn't their first language. They did not say a lot, but what radi- I remember even as a small child recognizing that something radiated from them, a light radiated from them of peace, tranquility, and joy. They, had, they trusted totally in God when, they, when, by all human standards, they should have been out harvest, being responsible in harvesting the grain because the sun was shining. Without the regular reset of the Sabbath, our spiritual lives will indeed get choked out by the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. But what about what Jesus said about the Sabbath in our gospel readings, which after all is the the focus of our sermon series. We better get to that. Well, a first preliminary observation that I need to make is that Jesus' comments were not against our present-day casual, perhaps even cavalier attitude towards Sabbath rest. It was against his contemporaries' burdensome piling piling up of laws and rules around the Sabbath, and in so doing, missing the point of the Sabbath. So let's take a look at Jesus, what Jesus said about the Sabbath here. First, from Mark chapter 2, the Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. This is a reminder that the Sabbath is a gift from God for our whole person refreshment, body, mind, and spirit. The Sabbath was not meant to be another crushing burden, a grind of a different kind, but a reset especially a spiritual reset, because the obligations of day-to-day life, as a rule, do not nourish us spiritually, nor do they orient us towards God. The Sabbath is intended for our blessing. Second, he said, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. This is a very clear reference to Jesus' messianic identity as well as his divinity. As the eternal word of God, Jesus spoke all of creation into existence, as well as the commandments. So you can imagine what it was like for him to hear the Pharisees explaining the commandment on Sabbath day rules that that he was the source of. It would be kind of like me trying to explain to Stephen Hawking what he meant in a brief history of time. You know, it would be pretty embarrassing and I'm sure just grating and infuriating. Jesus knew that the Sabbath rest was meant to be a refreshing, renewing, and joyful, spiritually-oriented reset, and a weekly declaration of abiding trust in a faithful God. Third was Jesus' penetrating question before healing the man with the withered hand. Is it lawful, he asked, on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? The whole point of the entire law, including the law regarding Sabbath rest, is humanity's full flourishing, the core of which is reconciliation with God and with one another. It is towards rather than away from healing and wholeness. So whether or not we have the spiritual gift of physical healing, we all have the call to speak healing words, and to do healing deeds. Did my words and deeds today contribute to or diminish the flourishing of those around me? 
That'd be a good question to ask ourselves at the end of a day, wouldn't it? Or maybe at the end of each encounter. How did I do? How did I do with that? But it could also be a silent question we ask every Sunday as we pray the prayer of confession. The Lord of the Sabbath said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. He also said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He emphasized again, you will find rest for your souls. Rest. Sabbath rest. A rest where we learn to trust God for all of our needs. A rest that that declares that our safety and security are found in God alone. A rest that reorients us away from the burdens, diversions, distractions, and deceptions of this world and towards God and the people given us by God. This rest is a core gift and discipline of the abundant life that Jesus promised. The Lord of the Sabbath says, Come, find rest for your souls. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.